welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building with me in Kansas. I'm excited to break down a few different topics today. First, we're going to talk about Joel Embiid and just the obscene, absurd, insane run that he is on this season. It has been completely ridiculous, especially over the last 20 games. Then we're going to move from Joel Embiid into kind of a NBA trade deadline news and notes roundup of things that we've seen across the internet, you know, things of that nature, everything like that. We're going to try and separate bullshit from potential reality and just take a look at, you know, something like what are the Lakers going to do after a catastrophic loss to the Brooklyn Nets? You know, what could the Suns look to do? Because some of the reporting is that the Suns are quite active. Uh, I've kind of heard that they would like to be active. I don't know how plausible that totally is, given that they only have four second round picks among like legitimate assets beyond their stars to trade. So that's going to be quite complicated. Finally, uh, we're going to play a game called Bryce asks Sam a basketball question. Maybe like we, we've said this three, three episodes and haven't actually got to it. So I just continue to copy and paste from one outline to the next. Yeah, I think that we're going to do it. I think we're actually going to get to it this time. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we have not placed too much on our plate here so that we'll actually be able to get to Bryce's question of the week for Sam. Uh, and I don't know, we might, if we have some time at the end, like maybe we'll take some draft questions, but I, I don't know that that's going to be a realistic outcome because Bryce uh, is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And I told Bryce that I would like to get him out of here uh, in an hour, 45 minutes before the Chiefs game starts, because, you know, um, I try to be a good friend, even though he doesn't really care. Like he's happy to time shift. Uh, I just, I, I want him to have the option to be able to watch the Chiefs live. The, the peak behind the curtain is I will not watch the Chiefs game live, whether we're recording or not. I will record the game. I will put my phone in my bedroom and I will find something to do for an hour, whether that's make my family a breakfast for supper meal or watch some film that I have in the queue or whatever. And then I will start the game an hour late so I can fast forward through commercials. And when I get pissed that the chiefs are playing bad, then I can skip through some of that and, and all of that. So oh goodness. Oh goodness. Okay. Let's, let's start on Joel Embiid here because what Joel Embiid is doing is posting one of the most <laughs> ridiculous basketball seasons I've ever seen. I think that there is a case that this is like the best offensive basketball season that I've ever seen through 30 games point blank period. And we have some numbers to back that up. We're just not going to pull this like out of our ass and say that this is the best anybody's ever played. I really think that from a scoring perspective, particularly what Joel Embiid is doing right now is almost like unfathomable to me. Uh, so I'll start with you, Bryce. Joel Embiid right now is averaging 35 points, I think 11.4 rebounds, 5.9 assists, uh, has a 65 true shooting percentage. The 76ers are really good in spite of the whole Harden thing completely falling apart. Obviously, a big reason for that is the emergence of Tyrese Maxey, but above all and beyond everything else, it's very clearly that Joel Embiid is a historic basketball player that is capable of leading them to such lofty heights at this point. 
what have you thought of Joel's season and what do you think it says about where the Sixers are going? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been insane. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the words are, what words you want to use to give him enough credit, but you outlined it perfectly. It's in my notes of every game I watch where it's like he just does stuff. I'm like, he's this big doing these things. We talk about deceleration with guards, Sam. This dude at his size is driving, decelerating, has body control, all of that. And then, like, I just wonder, is there a more, like, all, all these great players have their shot, right? Like, the thing that's kind of unstoppable for them. Is his one-two left-hand dribble mid-range pull-up from the elbow middle of the, the free throw line, is there anything more unstoppable than that? Because he's seven foot, he leans back on it, he rocks you into it, and then he can attack you off the bounce. As I've tried to make a case for SGA as the MVP of this league, Embiid is the one guy that I always get hung up on. Like I can go make a case for SGA over everybody else, and then I get to Embiid, and I'm just like, I can't do it. I I just cannot do it with what this guy is doing. And what's crazy is the numbers have gotten better every year. So from his year 26 season to this year, his age, I should say age 29 season, points per game have gotten better. Rebounds have stayed. The assists, I think the passing and the defense is really what kind of separates him or keeps this whole thing going because he's passing the ball well. He's not Jokic, but he's passing the ball well, and he's a really impactful defender also. I'm so glad that you brought up everything that I pulled tape on, all within that single thing that you just said. So let's just dive in a little bit because I think that the whole thing is just worth looking at here. So this is a great contest here. against the Nuggets. Look at this. This is 113-113. Seven minutes left in this Nuggets game. That What was that? Was that last week, if I remember correctly? Uh, yeah, I believe it was end of last week. Tuesday. Yeah, Thursday. I can't remember. Days all get screwed up. But what you're going to see here is just look at that body control on the Eurostep, right? Like, it's completely absurd. You, you cannot you cannot be seven foot two, as big as Joel Embiid is, and be able to Euro step around Nikola Jokic like this. This blows my mind. Like this completely blows my mind in terms of the deceleration here. It does not make sense to me. Now, what he's it, doing here does not make sense. It does not compute to me being and it able was, to do that. It was Tuesday. Just so you see. Yeah, it, it's the body control. It's the balance. It's the deceleration. And... It's just, I have this exact play in my notes. I mean, we're on the same wavelength here. He's second, I called this secondary transition. He's going full speed, Sam. And then at his size, it looks like he's going to go draw a foul. Like, I think that's what the defender, the defender thinks is he's going to just go like bully into him. But instead, he's able to slow down right here where you have it pause, decelerate, cover ground with the Euro step, and then finish. The body control for being seven foot two, you know, legitimately, what do we think Joel is? He's got to be 285, 290, yeah. something yeah. like that. Being able to be that big, being able to decelerate like this, it's insane. It does not, it just doesn't make sense to me in any way. And by the way, again, this is a huge spot in this game. Seven minutes left, tie game, right? Then I think it's like two possessions later, maybe one possession later. Uh, Next thing, the thing that the Sixers, above all, if you go and look at the maxi breakdown that I did after like two weeks of the season or so, breaking down his breakout this season, 
the thing that I said was that the 76ers are relentlessly going to these empty side actions, right? Be it just empty side ball screens or some sort of like weird dribble handoffy, like kind of almost, it's almost like pistol y action uh, in terms of like being like a five out. Typically, you run like pistol with like a, it's like a 21 action. But because Joel is such a incredible, like, five out player just like perimeter player you get the same kind of impact here that you would in such a play so you know here he's just going to reject this dribble handoff and now we're just like jabbing and aaron gordon just like has no chance like aaron gordon is big he's enormous and he's still too small he can't deal with this well, watch two watch jabs. Gordon's. Here's the thing: watch Gordon's reaction when Embiid jab steps every time, and that tells you how hard he is to guard. Aaron Gordon is a very quality defender, but Joel is so in good is so good. Excuse me, off the bounce, you have to respond. Look at the ground that he created there because he's just jabbing, moving the ball, and now he puts Gordon in, you know, in in a pretzel because I have to respect it. I want to make him uncomfortable with my handout, but he has the KD rip through. And I'm sorry if somebody was doing it before KD. That's who I always equate it with. And then he has the body control and the touch and everything else to make this jump shot right inside the three-point line. This isn't even on the elbow, Sam. He makes it and goes to the free throw line. Yeah, it's you can just watch Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon, again, has never made an all-defense team. That kind of defender, I think. Yeah. Maybe just like the slight tier below that that will stop him from making that kind of team at some point. But watch his left foot every single time that Joel jab steps. Look at that. Drops way back, right? He creates that little separation there. Then he tries to crawl back up into him. It's just ridiculous. Every single time. You get one, drops it. Second jab, slide backward. It's absurd. And then once he gets that little rip through, it's done. Uh, I think this is literally the next possession down the court again for Joel, right? And now, you know, directs Tyrese in terms of the empty side action here. Let's him know what he wants. Let's him know, hey, if you go empty side, they might try to trap you here, right? With how deep Jokic is playing off of me. So just get me this ball back. Jab three. <laughs> Bang. I mean, okay. for, for our listeners, you need to update the score because the Euro step happened 113, 113. And we'll, yep. we need to update the score then after the Euro step in transition, the and one mid mid range, mid, I mean, deep mid range jumper. And now the and empty one. side. Yep. Yeah. And one empty side pick and pop where he jabs Jokic to death and then hits the three. And the score is now 121, 113 Philly. Yeah, this was the game like this crushed the game at the end of the day. And then we've got one more possession, by the way, at 121-113, because why not? Uh, (laughs) Just one jab into uh, absolutely ridiculous shot here. This is a 10-0 run for Nicole or for uh, Joel Embiid. 10-0 run where he was just unstoppable. No matter what they did, they had no chance. Then we've got like the creative stuff here like this against the Magic. I mean, like, what are we doing here? Like, Goga Batadze has been fantastic on defense, <laughs> and then he's throwing it off the glass to himself and dunking and letting everybody in the stands know about it. But 
I'm glad that you brought up everything beyond the scoring. The creativity as a scorer is real. You see it with the Euro step. You see it with the ability to throw the ball off the glass. The go-to moves as a scorer, which are the three shots that I showed there, right? Essentially left wing, you know, left elbow, pull-up jumpers. The one was from behind the three-point line, but regardless, same area of the court, just, you know, slightly further back in different, you know, moments empty side actions. We're going to try and get Joel the ball in the spot that he likes go to move. You know, again, something that I talked about in an interview that I loved that happened earlier this year was LaMarcus Aldridge talking about Victor Wembenyama uh, yep. developing like a go-to move on like Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson's podcast. Basically saying like, he just needs like one go-to move. Like for me, for Lamar- LaMarcus Jackson, it was that mid post fadeaway, and then I developed one counter off of it to be able to be unstoppable. Joel's go-to move right now is that ability to get to that, you know, what do we want to call it? Somewhere between a 15 and 23 foot jab step, you know, left side of the court, mid-range to three-pointer, something in that ballpark. He's gotten better as a shooter too. That's the big thing. Like Joel right now is shooting 36% from three. Uh, that is the, I think third highest of his career, something in that ballpark, but it just feels more dangerous right now than what I've seen him shoot. Uh, it feels more consistent. I feel great about this, uh, moving forward, but beyond that, there is the side of Joel Embiid beyond the scoring that has improved. I'm glad you brought up the passing because that's the big thing that stood out to me, uh, the passing here is just fantastic. He used to struggle with doubles. He he actually like really used to have problems dealing with double teams when they would come his way. Look at this. Look at how he's seeing the court. He controls the ball and then he chucks this cross corner kick out to Batum. And by the way, like look, I say, hold we got to pause on that shot. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the Batum shot. The okay, no dip, <laughs> unbelievable corner jumper. Feet Christ together. Please. Please explain how hard that is for the people as a former collegiate division one sniper. Yeah, that's insanely hard. I was a dip shooter. Like I, I really struggled whenever I didn't get that rhythm and the flow from the dip. Batum, like this isn't just like a, this is the ultimate no dip. This is, this isn't catch at my chest and go into my shot. This is catch over my head, keep the ball over my head, his feet. I bet it's the Sean Elliott, like his heels are above the sideline. We can't see it because the crowd is right there. His balance isn't even necessarily correct. Like this is, this is one of the tougher catch and shoot corner three pointers you will see in a basketball game. That is insanely difficult in terms of non move. I don't, I don't think there's a tougher shot in terms of a non movement three point attempt than that right there. That that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Completely breaks my brain that he was able to do this, but I think this is a pass that Joel struggles to make like even last year, this is not a pass that he drills consistently. Uh, even as recently as last season, we're looking at a Joel Embiid that's averaging six assists per game right now. And it's because he sees these things when he gets doubled. Now he's taking fewer disastrous shots to me. It feels like when I watch him, and this is a great example of it. The passing is real. The playmaking is real. Every time I see him, I'm like, okay, I think you're going to make the right decision. Whereas before, I thought that you might try to drive into a crowd and 
you know, get fouled. And sometimes you might get fouled because you're the best foul drawer in the NBA. Another piece of his skill set that I did not pull clips of. Joel is the best foul drawer in the NBA. And you can talk about some of the, you know, complaints people have about his foul drawing, but I, I don't care, kind of. Like, I, I get that, like, some of it can be grifty, but he has been very open about the fact that, like, this is a guy that struggled with injuries and he's been taught how to fall and like how to try to avoid injuries by falling and by not like collapsing his lower half underneath like his enormous upper half. So when people kind of talk about that, it kind of drives me crazy a little bit. So I just, I'm okay if people want to bring it up, but I think they're different conversations. If we want to have the aesthetics conversation, we can have that. Like there are certain players in the NBA. I enjoy watching play and there are certain players. I don't enjoy watching play as much, but how he draws fouls, how he falls on the ground, those type of things do not matter in the context of the conversation we are having right now in terms of the type of season he's having, his greatness this season, his MVP candidacy this season. Getting to the free throw line is getting to the free throw line. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if he's if he's getting a good whistle, he's getting a good whistle. If it's because the officials like him, if it's because he complains, if it's because he doesn't complain, it, at, at the end of the day, it's all part of the game and he's figured it out. So I'm okay if people want to talk about that stuff but let's not do it in the context of how good he is as a player. If you just want to talk aesthetics of watching a game, that's a different conversation. Yeah. And then the final piece of it is the defensive piece where I think he's been terrific this season. Again, uh, Joel, I think goes up and down a little bit defensively. Sometimes there are moments where he's utterly elite. I think particularly in the regular season, he is pretty consistently elite. Uh, some of the, ball screen defense in the playoffs, I think can be exploited with the right kind of player. Trey Young, you know, back in the, what was that? 2021 uh, playoffs, I think proved that occasionally he can be beat in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, this is a dude that is still enormous. And I think the biggest thing he does is actually like dissuade drives. So like yep. I grabbed this one from Jalen Green, right? Like Jalen Green, not having a great season. Let's be clear, but just watch. This is a very high ball screen. Joel is just sitting here waiting for him on his drive and just look at like the panic on Jalen Green's face. Like this is a lot of space here for Jalen Green. If he is the athlete that we think he is to be able to drive into and kind of maneuver around Joel. And it just kind of looks like he panics. Right. Like you're going to see here, yep. he's going to pick up his dribble way early right yep. on this little dig here uh, by Batum. You know, good job by Batum, you know, providing that little dig. But it just looks like he panics and he panics because Joel is standing right there. Like Joel being in the middle of the paint here is Jalen tries to survey everything that's happening. And look, like I think on some level you can complain about the spacing for the Rockets on this possession. I didn't think it was great. Like, you would hope that somebody's going to be like in the left corner here as opposed to you know up on the wing or like even closer to the top of the key right into Shangoon's driving area. I think it's way too early of a lift. 
But at the same token, like this is just the fear that Joel creates as a rim protector. He has been fantastic this season as a rim protector. He's averaging uh, two blocks per game. But more than that, it's the shots that he does not have. uh, He does not allow, essentially. He does not uh, give up in the paint. So everything I've seen from Joel this year has been outstanding. I love everything that he's done on the court. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it, it really hit with me. I was watching uh, Deron Holmes uh, from Dayton yesterday, and the broadcast kept bringing that up with him about how it wasn't that he was just blocking two or three shots. It's all of these shots where guys just aren't taking them. They're, they're refusing to shoot it when they have the ball in the lane. And to me, that's what Joel does. With just his, That's what elite shot blockers do, right, Sam, is Victor challenges you to just not even take the shot. Brooke Lopez challenges you to not even take the shot. And Joel does that with just his size, but also, again, his movement ability, right? You, if I wonder if that was Brooke Lopez. Does Jalen Green try to attack him? Because maybe he doesn't respect Lopez's movement ability as much. Now, Lopez yep. may still be able to recover and block it. I, I'm, th- this isn't, you know, hate at Brooke Lopez at all. He is a really elite rim protector. But in a ball screen, as a big, to me, what I look for is can you cause indecisiveness in the ball handler can you cause them confusion can you make them think and just Embiid's physical presence can cause that and that's impactful you know no matter what there was another one in the Timberwolves game I don't know this a few weeks ago he's recovering from the lane out to Jaden McDaniels in the strong side corner and again this shows his ability to decelerate and change direction he's able to stop his momentum as Nas Reed starts to drive. So Joel sprinting to the corner to recover to McDaniels. Reed drives down the wing. Joel's able to stop, track Nas Reed. So he switches off and tracks with Nas Reed across the lane and blocks his shot. Like it's just those movement abilities that again, someone his size shouldn't have. And it's impactful offensively and defensively. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. It's a really, really good point that I'm glad you brought up there. Uh, now I just want to kind of get into some of the numbers here, and this is where we'll close the okay. Joel conversation. Joel is currently averaging 48.3, or no, I'm sorry, 49.8 points per 100 possession. <laughs> yes, that is the highest ever. Like, to be clear, that is the most points per 100 possessions or the most points per possession that any player has averaged in NBA history. And he's not all that close to James Harden yet. Like James Harden in the 2018-19 season is second place. He averaged 48.2. By the way, third place, Joel Embiid last season. So this has been growing similarly to what Bryce said. Uh, Seventh place, Joel Embiid in 2021-22. 11th place. Uh, Joel Embiid in 2020-2021. He is just consistently getting better and climbing this ladder. And I think it all has to do with the improvement as a shooter, developing that complete go-to move uh, from that left elbow-ish area and back. And then additionally, the body control just continues to improve and improve and improve. The other thing I do want to note here is I think that in general, the spacing is a little bit better for the Sixers this year. And I think that having Maxi as a ball screen partner, even though James Harden and Joel had really good synergy by the end in terms of hitting that pocket pass right in that area that Joel likes, I think that 
teams take Maxi a little bit more seriously as a scorer, particularly, which then allows Joel just that little bit of extra space. And this is a Nick Nurse thing as well in terms of spacing the offense in general, what sets he's running. I think that Joel just has that little bit more space this season, which allows him to be as effective as he is. Uh, Joel Embiid this season, averaging 35 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. And this is you know something that J.J. Redick brought up. I, I did like a little bit of a deeper dive into the research, but uh, you know, J.J. Redick brought that up. Do you know the only other player to average 35 points 11 and five is in a season. I do not. Wilt Chamberlain in 1963, 64 also found on basketball reference that Wilt Chamberlain, like one of his nicknames is big musty. No, listen, we're not your guys. And I love it. I listen to Saturday slam and jam. That's actually on Friday sometimes now or something. Anyway, what you were on, you guys need to go listen. Sam was on with um, those guys here recently. And they always do that whenever they play uh, uh, Andrew versus the beat, which I love. I love that trivia game that they do. And they always do the b-ball references. Um, uh, nicknames. nicknames and i'm like none of these are real i've never heard any of these players yeah. ever called these names also like if i was will and someone called me big musty i'm probably like fighting that guy right <laughs> <laughs> like that that that's those are like fighting words at that point uh so here's the thing about wilt's season that year wilt played 46 minutes per game that year He took 29 shots per game compared to Joel's 21. He had a 53.7 true shooting percentage, which, by the way, was 11% above league average at that point. Uh, A 53.7 true shooting percentage because, again, seriously, if you want evidence that spacing is so critical and important to offensive execution, Back when they didn't have a three-point line, Wilt Chamberlain's 53.7 true shooting percentage was 11% above league average. True shooting percentage was below 50%. It's like above 58% this season. By the way, Joel Embiid, he's at 649 right now. His true shooting percentage is about 12% above league average this season. So he has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, in terms of his efficiency, so slightly more efficient. But back then, teams took like 99 shots per game and took, uh, I think it's like 35 free throws per game. Teams now take like in the 70s in terms of field goal attempts and 23 free throws per game. That's why the per per possession numbers are so different when you see that like, oh my God, Wilt Chamberlain average... uh, 48 points and 22 rebounds in a season. Like, oh my God, the game was just so drastically different back then. And you can say that like in some respect, Wilt had it potentially a little bit harder in terms of spacing and in terms of having guys like rake down on his shot all the time and having more of a crowd to manage on the interior defensively. Also didn't have as much size to deal with on the interior. There's a lot of give and take when you start to compare eras of basketball, but undeniably what Joel is doing this season is on par with everything we've seen from the greatest big man seasons in NBA history. 
I'm doing awards. I'm glad you brought up Andrew Schlecht. I'm doing awards with Andrew on this show later this week, our midseason awards. We did the quarter season awards earlier this year. Embiid to me is like the clear MVP right now. I, I, I look, I've tried to do it with Jokic. I had Jokic at number one at the quarter mark. Uh, I think that Shea has a very real case for sure. It's, it's Embiid. Right Let me ask now. you this. You don't have to answer it now. I would like to hear you and Schleck's answer. Is Embiid closer to a unanimous MVP or is number two closer to Embiid? Yeah, I'll answer that on the uh, I'll answer that next time. Okay. I'll answer that next time. Uh the only reason he might not win MVP is because of this 65 game minimum policy. So Joel has missed 10 games this season. I hate this thing. Like I, I do not like this policy. Uh, not rewarding Joel Embiid uh, for MVP if he plays sixty-four games this year. And by the way, like you can't just play Joel like for the tip-off and then you know he leaves. He has to play at least fifteen minutes in the game. Which, by the way, and side tangent again, you know, going full ADHD brain. Uh, side tangent here: if you, you know, get hurt in the first quarter of a basketball game and you're a starter, like an MVP caliber player, that game should count. Even if you haven't played 15 minutes, that game should absolutely count. The intention here of the 65 game policy is to increase player participation in games. The goal of that game missing or of missing like, you know, three quarters of that game was not to in some way, create subterfuge in regard to the player participation policy. You just got hurt. That game should count toward the minimum. Like a guy that has that situation right now, I think is bam. I think bam went out with, uh, after 12 minutes in a game and he's missed maybe eight or nine games or so this season. So bam is now down an extra game. In addition to the eight games that he's missed because of that, it's completely ridiculous. Like I get the player participation policy. I get what we're doing here. Just drop the minimum to 60. Like I think there's a big difference between 65 games and 60 games. It just makes it more reasonable, I guess to me. Yeah. I'm with you. Like I, I don't care about the policy at all. Like to me, it's a policy that affects awards that isn't actually about the awards. The policy is about getting players to play, right? Yeah. Like they just added something in to try to incentivize teams to play these guys, but now it's affecting awards. And to me, I don't care. I love the conversation and the nuance. If we're voting for MVP of, and listen, I'm not wishing this on anybody. I don't think this is going to happen, but Joel Embiid played 55 games at the level we're talking about and SGA played 80. Let's have that conversation of, hey, we think Embiid was better, but what was more valuable for the 82 games? Embiid's 55, Embiid's 58, 60, whatever it is, or SGA's 81. Let's let the voters figure it out. Like this is there's nuance in all of this anyway. Some people don't want to vote Embiid because they don't think he's going to get it done in the playoffs. I don't agree with that, but everybody's way of saying who the most valuable player is is different. Some people just it should have been LeBron for 15 straight years because some people would just say whoever the best player in the NBA is should win MVP. 
that's not always how it's voted. So to me, I, I think it's ridiculous in general, and I, I, I don't like it because, yeah, what if Embiid ends up with 64 games? And he has these numbers that we're talking about. He can't win MVP with 64. I mean, that's that's crazy. So here's the other thing. Because these things are tied to yes, money in terms of yep. awards. Yep. Are you going to sit there and tell me that because Tyrese Halliburton sprained his ankle? Yep. Or something like this. So Tyrese this is going to hurt his this. bank account, right? Like this is going to end up hurting yeah. his. Yeah. Ty- Tyrese has missed eight games this year. So if he sprains his ankle again, reasonably, like he could miss, you know, nine more games, right? That's like not impossible at all. Are you telling me that if Tyrese Halliburton, you know, sprains his ankle twice in a season in this season that like matters most of all in his fourth season that he should not be eligible for all NBA this year and thus not be eligible to make an additional $41 million uh, on his contract via the Rose rule stipulation that is in his deal. Are you, are you seriously going to tell me that that guy is not worth uh, the full max that he's eligible for? Are you kidding me? It's absurd. It's completely ridiculous. Uh, I, I get it. Like I do. I understand that, you know, we want to increase participation sure. among the stars. Sure. I think it has helped in that regard. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it hasn't. I just think the number needs to be a little bit lower. Yeah. Like, I, I think we need to make it 60 instead of 65. 65 is cutting it way too close in regard to situations like Tyrese Halliburton's where if Halliburton just like sprains his ankle again or something, we're now in a circumstance where like, frankly, near the end of the season, if you're telling me that I have 41 fucking million dollars on the line and you know, my ankle is not totally right. And I need to play the final four games of the season to be eligible for $41 million. I'm probably going to try and play through it. And I think that's what this is encouraging. And that I think is not what the NBA is going to want heading into the playoffs. Yeah, you bring up the contracts. I think that's the important thing here is how all of this stuff gets intertwined now, right? Like, so this whole policy is about getting guys to play. Well, now that's affected all NBA, MVP, those type of things, which then is also tied into the contract. So it's just, they're so intertwined that it becomes something that is important, something that matters. And so I I think it'll be interesting to see because I think this year, I don't know that people have really thought about it. I know I don't think about it, Sam, a whole lot whenever I don't think about awards in general because quite honestly, sorry, this isn't good for the show, but I just don't care about awards at the end of the day a whole lot. But I do, so it's a good balance. yeah, 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 for sure. And that's why you bring on Andrew to talk about it. And so- I haven't thought about it as much, but it's really going to hit people, including me, when we get to the end of the year. And it's like, wait, why wasn't Tyrese second team all NBA? Oh, he had, you know, like you said, it's not Tyrese's fault. He rolled his ankle twice. Again, I know we're projecting here and I hope that that does not happen, but it, it is frustrating. And I think it's it'll be interesting to see what the response is from from fans, the league, all of that. And if anything changes, I mean, I guess it can't. This is collectively bargained. I don't know how you, like, 
can it change? I don't understand the CBA you, you enough can to do know an how, amendment to amendment, it. Like, right? Like if, if, if both parties agree to it, yeah, it's not going to be a problem. I like, I don't know if the NBA is going to agree to it though, to be completely sure. honest. Yeah. Uh, guys at risk right now, Joel Embiid has missed 10 games this season. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has missed eight. Luka Doncic has missed seven. Donovan Mitchell has missed nine. Uh, Kevin Durant has missed seven. Laurie Markkinen has missed 10. Christoph Porzingis has missed 11. He would very clearly be, you know, third team all NBA center, in my opinion, right now. Uh, probably. I guess I'll look into that a little bit more when I do awards, but I feel quite confident that that's the case. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else here that is at risk. I mean, Kyrie is like out already. Like he is, he can only miss one more game this season. And if you've watched the run that Kyrie has been on recently, he's been really good. Like, uh, yeah, like that seems not right to me that we're just like, you know, but by the time that, you know, this thing gets rolling here, Kyrie in his last seven games is averaging 34.7 rebounds and six assists on 50, 46, 89. And that's like, since he's been back from injury, you know, not including the first game when he was like getting his legs under him to like, just be in a place where we're not like thinking about that season and like awarding that season where he's averaging 25, five and five on 47, 41, 89. I don't know. It doesn't feel totally, totally right to me at the end of the day. Uh, all right. That's where I'm at on the 65 game policy. It's driving me nuts. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> Having said that, let's move on and talk about uh, trade deadline stuff, but we're going to take one quick commercial break before we do that. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, 
With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. Nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. Let's do some trade deadline news and notes. So the the first one I want to just hit very quickly. Chris Haynes reported the Milwaukee Bucks have reached out in regard to DeJounte Murray. I mean, look, I'm sure they called. They have, unless they're going to move, honestly, no. They have no mechanism to be able to get DeJounte Murray. And here's kind of why. They have, I think, four... No, no, no. They might only have three second-round picks they can move right now. They can't really move many. They do have a very useful Portland second-round pick this year. Like, that's the one... That's the one that like kind of stands out. I mean, you're not you're gonna have to add a bunch else to get Dejounte Murray with that one, but that's one that's kind of exciting, right? Because that's going to be yeah. in the top thirty, you know, thirty one to thirty five. So the salary matching though is where this breaks down for them because their deals that they can move in theory are Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, first and foremost, right? Like, I I guess if you wanted to move one of those two, go for it. I I think that I'd be stunned if they moved one of those two, but it's not impossible in theory that they could move one of those two. They've shown in the past they're willing to move Drew Holiday, right? Willing to move Eric Bledsoe. They've reshaped the core around Giannis. But the problem is, if you're the Hawks, why do you want one of those two? You know, Brooke Lopez, you just signed Onyeka Okongwu to a big extension. Uh, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton's like an older player. I guess you could move him elsewhere, but I think you'd probably get better value just by you know, doing something else with DeJounte Murray. The other mechanism is Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton's deals. That gets you to, uh, what, 11.7 for Portis, 9.4 for Connaughton. That gets you to 21, exactly right. Uh, you need, I think, 16, maybe like 15 to match DeJounte. Uh, you could even do Bobby Portis, Marjan Beauchamp, and Andre Jackson if you wanted to, I guess. That would probably get you really close to the ballpark on DeJounte. Close, yeah. I just don't like, I, I don't see Atlanta not getting better value than that. Like, you, you would literally, if you're Milwaukee, you'd have to move everything. You'd have to move Bobby Portis. I think it has to be Portis. If you're if you're not moving Portis and Connaughton, it probably has to be Portis. So you do Portis and Connaughton. You'd probably have to do Beauchamp and Jackson. And then you'd have to do all of the like eligible picks that you have. This, this just like does not really compute to me as like a thing that is plausible. Because the other piece of it is that I don't think that they can get to enough money to take on like some of the bad, like if they want, if they were able to take on like Clint Capella's bad salary yeah, or yeah, something, yeah. 
maybe, but like Pat Connaughton is not great salary right now. So this doesn't really line up to me as something that makes sense. Uh, Bobby Porter is a good player. Like, I, I don't mean to disparage him. Like, I think he's like a totally fine, you know, great backup center, you know, could probably be a starting center for, you know, a few teams in the league. But, you know, to me, like Bobby Portis, Marjan Beauchamp, Andre Jackson and second rounders is probably not getting it done for DeJounte Murray to me. Well, and I would feel like Portis probably is more valuable to the Bucks than another team around the league. And I, I think every time I watch, I feel like, man, Portis is a really nice fit because Giannis, they need a good backup four because Giannis wants to check out at six minutes to go in the first quarter. That's just kind of how he does his thing. So Portis comes in and then Giannis maybe will come back in for Lopez and then Portis can slide to the five. So Portis has a little bit of versatility with that. Portis can stand yeah. in the corner and knock down threes. He gives them a different look in ball screen coverages where he can play at the line or hard hedge, those type of things. I, I don't want to overvalue Bobby Portis, but I'm just saying I think he fits this team really well. He would be the one guy outside of the starters that I wouldn't want to trade. But then, like you say, then, then none of the other money works. Here's the other thing with DeJounte. Isn't this the same conversation we've had about DeJounte Murray's fit with Trey Young, with Jalen Brunson, and all these other when is he going to get the ball in Milwaukee and be able to play point guard? Like Dame is already having to share it probably more than he wants with Giannis. So you're going to add yeah. Murray is going to be completely off the ball player, maybe more than any other team we've talked about. Like it, yeah. it doesn't even make sense if they did have the way to do it. And you know what? Here's the other thing too. They, they can't even really do a Portis, Beauchamp, Jackson deal without Connaughton because they are like over the apron. So like they can't even make the money work that way. So they it would have to include Connaughton in Portis, which means that you're taking on the bad Pat Connaughton money. They're, they're, like that's a deal that I think it might not require a first rounder to get off of because Pat Connaughton has been rough this year. Uh, and that's a three-year contract now moving forward, uh, two years after this one. But man it's it's not far off of one where you'd have to use a first rounder to get off of it and then you'd have to add like picks to get murray i, I don't think this makes any sense to me this this deal does not make like structural sense to me yeah like now i look at this now and i'm like what is their move to improve in general you know like who is the guy that matches the money to go get somebody. Cause again, I think you can attach that Blazers second round pick in 2024 and that would hold some value around the league, but they just don't have the money. This is why, you know, you see a lot of these, these teams with, they have the super high salary and then all the super low salary. We'll talk about the Phoenix suns later. You need some of those 10 to $15 million contracts to be able to make some moves either to add those together or go get a guy that makes more sense at that amount of money. You have so many guys, you know, they have Marshawn's at 2.7, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine guys that make less than $3 million on their roster or something like that. So like they just, they don't have the means. They don't really have the means. Uh, I, I don't like, again, like one guy that I've brought up a couple of different places is Jay Sean Tate. Yeah. Uh, if you could figure out a way for 
Houston to take the Pat Connaughton money and then add like Beauchamp to take the Connaughton money and get Tate. Like that's interesting. But again, you want shooting around Giannis and Tate doesn't really bring that. It's just like, you're trying to find perimeter defense at the end of the day. That's what you want. You want, that's why DeJounte gets brought up, even though DeJounte has struggled on defense a bit. That's why that's been a thing. Uh, Yeah. I, I, there are not many like truly great perimeter defenders available on the market. One name that's like interesting for them, if they could figure out how to make the like assets work is Quentin Grimes. And the fact that they have that early Portland, like second round pick where, you know, it's probably going to be what, like 30 to 35 or 31 to 35. But what do you attach? How are you matching money? Like, that's what stinks is Connaughton's the contract to match money, but because it's not an expiring and, as you say, bad money, now you have to attach another. Like, you you have to add Marshawn to that or Andre to that. And I feel like you want one of those two guys at least to stay around as a young wingy like to – I mean, I guess if you're getting grinds, maybe neither of them are as valuable anymore. It's just – I wish it was something other than Connaughton where it's negative money. Well, the, the Grimes deal you could do for like Marjan in that 34th pick or something. Like okay. That. Like that, that, that money works. That's why I bring up Grimes because Grimes only makes like two and a half million dollars this year or something. Like he's really, really low. So like if I was, if I was the bucks, that's the name I'd be trying to chase. And I'd be like, Hey, like I'll give you this early second. But the problem with that is that, you know, the Knicks, you know, currently at least have the 22nd overall pick. And then they, do they also have like another pick if I remember correctly? Let me look. Like, am I, am I losing my mind here? I thought they might've had the Dallas pick potentially. Yes. Yes. The one that didn't, that didn't convey last year and looks like it should this year based on how Dallas is playing. Right. So you have two, you know, top 25 picks as it is. Plus, you're at, like adding that pick in a draft that people aren't wildly enthused about, uh, and like the Knicks, you know, I guess they have decent amount of like roster space, like near the back end, like they could theoretically do that. Uh, it could make some sense for them to have a couple of rookies in this year, but yeah, I, I struggle. I, I struggle to see like where the Bucks are going to get their guys. Like to me trying to find a way to get maybe this is it maybe it's pat Connaughton in that like 31 to 35 overall pick for delon Wright. yeah because they need some backcourt help too like i had that in right. in my notes just the it's not just wing you know you, you brought jay crowder back so hopefully he's able to play a little bit and so yeah, I mean, adding a backcourt because I wonder, like, how much you trust campaign in the play. Like, if is that your backup guard that you're willing to trust? And the other thing, like, Malik Beasley has been one of the best, at least catch and shoot guys in the NBA this year. Like, I think he at one point at least was the best corner three point shooter in the league. But it would be nice to have somebody if he's not shooting well, if you need, like you say, a, a lockdown defender. So DeLon Wright is an yeah. interesting name. Grimes is an interesting name, even if you get bring those guys off the bench. But then if if Beasley's not getting it done with the shot or you just need that added defense, because I think Chris Middleton is finding his spots on the offensive end. But I'm not sure if Chris Middleton is necessarily getting it done in terms 
of being like that wing stopper tanking those matchups. So yeah, I think this is is absolutely and they're not gonna go get Alex Caruso, right? Like they don't have they don't have yeah, the assets don't, to even yeah, come close to, to Chicago's to do, not gonna do that. Yeah. yeah. Um D Rock asks, let's just move to like generally DeJounte now. Uh are the Nets trying to get DeJounte or are we waiting for Donovan Mitchell to make a request a trade here or to request a trade here this summer? Look, uh, you know, nobody knows what the Nets are doing. Like this, this is not a great answer to your question, D Rock. Like nobody I've talked to knows what the Nets are doing. Uh, Wendy said on Hoop Collective that he thinks the Nets are trying to buy. I've heard mixed things on if they're trying to buy or not. Uh, so truly, I'm not sure what their plan is. I've heard that, like you know, they could have some interest in Dejounte. Like that would be logical and that would make sense. Uh, I think I might have even written that in the deadline big board that I have. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that like, you know, YouTube user brings up Nets are in a crazy spot, not owning their picks. Trading guys for assets makes a ton of sense, but losing games doesn't benefit them at all. If I was them, like I would be probably trying to sell, but I, 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 I they're in a tough spot. Like I, I don't feel great about it. Uh, are we waiting for Donovan Mitchell to request trade? Possibly like that, that would line up to me. But if I'm them, if I can go get DeJounte for maybe two firsts, I I would maybe hope that I could then get Mitchell for the other assets that I still have, but maybe I'm, you know, being aggressive and hoping that that's like a possibility when in reality it's not uh maybe they still wouldn't have enough at that point to get donovan but they have a lot of they have a lot of phoenix picks that people think could be very very high value picks i wouldn't mind they're a team there there are two teams that really make sense for Dejounte, in my opinion and they they are one of them i think you can make a very real case that DeJounte makes a lot of sense for them. I, I Somebody brought 76ers earlier uh, for DeJounte. Where was that? Uh, I don't love that, to be honest, because uh, they, they just need to keep letting Tyrese and Joel rock that two-man game. And I think they need to find like more consistent off-ball scorers. Where DeJounte has thrived this year, I think, has been as like, an on-ball scorer consistently. But I think DeJounte makes sense if you're the Nets saying, like, hey, we're going to try and continue down this road of like sort of rebuilding sort of not rebuilding but you know moving two picks for DeJounte Murray and hopefully re <clears throat> hopefully re-signing Nick Claxton and then hoping that Donovan Mitchell asks out and then you know we still have enough assets moving forward to be able to do something uh with DeJounte yeah or the with Nets- Donovan Mitchell I'm sorry the Nets were my number one team in terms of got teams that aren't like contenders. Like, where would DeJounte go? Like, I have a list of teams. Like, I was just going to ask you real quick. Do you think he fits here? Does he make sense here? And I have a okay. list of like contenders. And then the next, there was like three teams of not really contenders. The Nets were my number one team in that. Like, I think a guy to play with the ball in his hands, attack. Like, I think he goes there and he gets to play his style. And I think it would be interesting. So let's do the contenders. Miami Heat. Like, just in general, we don't have to get into the weeds of... Like I tried not to put in the Celtics and all the teams that probably don't have the mechanism to do it. You know, Miami, do you think he would be a good fit in Miami where maybe they don't have that primary ball handler? Honestly, yes. That's a third team. Yeah. I think DeJounte makes sense for them. 
The Pelicans. No. Okay. The Jazz. No. How good has Colin Sexton been? Just real quick. He's been great. For for them, it's just I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think that Dejounte is like. <clears throat> I, I don't think Dejounte is the guard that you want to put like in that Will Hardy offensive kind of system. And for the record, I don't think the Jazz are contenders, so I should clarify that they they were in this group, not the other group. But like, um, I mean, they have a better record than the next two teams, the Lakers. For Dejounte, um, yes, this yes. is the one they're, that they're the other team that I thought of immediately. The Warriors. This is the one that this is the one that piqued my interest just a little bit because Steph can do so much off the ball, which I know a lot of times that's with Dre, yeah. the ball in Draymond's hand. I ended up leaning no, but I thought about it a little longer than I thought I would. I, I still think no. I, I mean, look, like if you're if you're the Nets, you can do something like this. Where and I'll, I'll share my screen here. You can do something like. And this this is a lot, I think, to give up for DeJounte Murray. And frankly, this is more than like what I think other teams will give up for DeJounte. You can do like Spencer Dinwiddie's expiring deal, one of Dariq Whitehead or Noah Clowney, and then two first round picks. And then that still leaves you with all of the Phoenix picks that you still have, right? Like you still have Phoenix's 2025, 2027, and 2029 picks. Uh, you, you, I thought they might have had a swap in there, but maybe not. Uh, you still have your own 2030 pick. You have a Dallas pick in there? Is that right? Well, I moved the Dallas pick. Oh, to, oh. Uh, yeah. I moved the Philadelphia pick. Oh, okay. And then I moved the Dallas pick. Gotcha, gotcha. Over for DeJounte. Gotcha. And then if you're Brooklyn later on and Donovan Mitchell does ask out, you then could move potentially you know what one of these phoenix pick you know two of these phoenix picks you know your 2030 first rounder like you, you can really make it somewhat amenable for cleveland to do something like this as well uh i think that you could probably do both but it, it would be tight and you you'd need to like really manage your assets well moving forward i think uh but again, like, you know, as people bring up in the comments too, like Donovan is best with the ball in his hands. Like, you know, point Donovan has been great. I agree. Like I, I'd almost prefer to have just Donovan like running the show. I think he's good enough as a passer and playmaker to do that. I just don't know where else the Nets, the, the Nets are having to play this weird game of chicken where like Donovan Mitchell hasn't asked out yet. He might, but do you take the risk that he doesn't? Or like, do you take the risk that he signs the extension this summer with Cleveland? And then you've missed out on DeJounte Murray and Donovan Mitchell? Or do you just go get DeJounte now thinking, okay, if Donovan asks out, maybe we still have the assets to be able to go get Donovan in addition to DeJounte. And then maybe we try and move DeJounte later if we don't like the fit. I think I lean more toward the latter, like try and go get DeJounte they're just in a really bad spot. Also, like I go back and forth with them too, where like part of me wants to just say, sell everything. If I'm Brooklyn, like move Mikhail bridges, move cam Johnson. But 
honestly, like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson being 27, 28 ish years old, they really fit like the age timeline of what a Donovan Mitchell, DeJounte Murray core would be. Again, though, the problem for the Nets is that I don't think a Donovan Mitchell, DeJounte Murray, Mikael Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton starting five takes you to takes you much past like 48 wins in the East. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because like you said at this top, you don't know which at the top, you don't know which way they want to go. Like, are they going to be sellers? Are they going to be buyers when you don't control your own picks? You you know, like the, the incentive to lose tank, whatever you want to say, it isn't there, but they have all these other assets. They have some good players. You don't have a true number one. At least I don't think Mikel Bridges is a true number one in, in that way. No, with, all due, with all due respect yeah. to what he is as a player, you know, you, and then you have all these other just kind of, you, you know, you have this Ben Simmons contract, which essentially, you know, it's about to be expiring. You have yeah. Cam Thomas who goes and gets a bunch of buckets, but what do you do with him? Claxton, like it, you just have all of these interesting, weird pieces where I'm fascinated by this team. But like you said, I have no idea. I, I don't even know what the direction should be. Do you build, you know, do you find the five or six guys and build around them? Do you sell it all off and try something different? It's just a really, really weird place for an organization to be in. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, someone asked, like, how good are the Nets if they get Murray and not Donovan? Honestly, like, I think there's not a playing team at that point like they're probably a playing team I was gonna say playing, right the, the east is so rough at the bottom to where it, it's it's a real issue but like it's a good question like are they better than orlando uh based off how they've played recently like i don't think that Dejounte makes them better than orlando and orlando is rising and they're probably they're getting guys that are closer to their ceilings so I, I don't see them being better than Orlando long term. Uh Charlotte would have Lamelo and Brandon Miller that they're hoping can be something and Mark Williams uh in addition to a high draft pick this year, you would think they're probably rising. Uh Detroit you would hope is rising, but they just have so far to go still unfortunately. And maybe you're hoping to like jump Chicago, right? So I I think that they're still a playing team if it's just DeJounte, but I think the goal of acquiring DeJounte is making it even more attractive for other stars to come and then lifting your ceiling that way. I need to do some more research or just talk some more to more people about like, but I think you brought this up, like making a move to then make the next move. Like sometimes you have to get the ball rolling a little bit and it's not all just going to happen at once, but I'm with you in terms of, I mean, there are two teams in the play in right now that are like the Hawks are the 10 seed six games below, you know, 18 and 24. So I think if they added DeJounte Murray in general, that would look like a potential play in team in the East because I think he does fit a lot of things that the Nets specifically do not have right now. And if it was the package that you showed, it's not like you're giving up Cam Johnson or, you know, somebody like that to, to get him, you know, if Spencer did what he would be the only guy in the rotation that was part of the deal you showed on screen a little bit ago. Yeah. And I think that's right. And I don't know where else the net or the Hawks would get better than that. I think because now we move to the Lakers. I think the Lakers are the team that makes like the most sense for DeJounte just in terms of a lot of different 
just like a lot of a lot of different incentives like across the map here the nets make a lot of sense for him the lakers are trying to contend they're trying to wring like everything they can out of the lebron era while potentially still keeping things open for like a future anthony davis era anthony davis and dejounte are on a similar ish age timeline to where you can make the case for a dejounte murray austin reeves anthony davis core being somewhat interesting if LeBron was to leave this year, retire, everything like that. Uh, the question is just what can the Lakers give for him? They have one pick that they can move. And then they have Jalen hood Shafino. And hood Shafino is a guy that, as I've said previously on the show, is a polarizing prospect. Some people quite liked him last year. Some people did not really like him last year across the NBA as a draft prospect. They really did not think that he was like a top 20-ish level prospect. Uh, so far in the G League this year, Hood Shafino has, if I remember correctly, like not played a ton. In the minutes he's played, he's been like okay. Uh, scored some buckets, like continues to be like a reasonable mid-range gunner. But like it's he's a he's a project in a real way on top of it. I don't want to say we have a feeling on how the Hawks feel about Jalen Hutchifino, but we do know that they liked Kobe Bufkin more than Jalen. They already have Kobe Bufkin there in theory. Yeah. And Kobe Bufkin, if you're going to keep going down the road of Trey young, Kobe Bufkin and Jalen Hutchifino, both of whom have some like real on ball kind of equity. I don't know how much those guys make sense having both of them next to Trey young. So I don't know how attractive the Lakers package is. Like they'd almost need to find a team that liked Jalen Hutchifino last year in the draft and like get a first rounder from them and then move that first rounder to the Hawks or like do like a three team deal, something like that. Cause I don't know how much that makes sense for Atlanta to go get Hutchifino when you're in theory trying to build around track, maybe you know, maybe that's the piece of this that I'm not getting. Maybe they're looking at, you know, potentially down the road moving Trey. That's speculative. That's not reporting. I'm just saying that, like, if you go get a Hood Shafino, you're opening up your options in theory uh, regarding that. So you could do Hood Shafino, a first, D'Angelo Russell, and really that's all you need to do. Like, yep. you can make the money work with Russell. I just don't know how that flies. Yeah, that's a, I mean, I just continue to scour the Lakers roster trying to find essentially a player that I feel like fits for them, for the Hawks, and what would make this enticing. And as you said, is D'Lo, Hood, Shafino, and what it would be either, either 2029 or 2030 Lakers first round pick, is that better than what you just showed of the nets because those were i mean that was two first yeah. round picks right i mean yeah. it's it's not even close and you, you can, and, and you that, can outbid the lakers quite easily yeah and derek whitehead is probably more liked by some we don't i don't know that we know for the hawks but then hood shafino right like they were both yeah. first round picks last year and yeah I, I just i don't see what the lakers cobbled together to uh, put, put it the this Hawks. way 
I would bet you that there are teams out there that like, I don't know where the Nets or where the Hawks fall on this. I would feel quite confident there are teams out there that like Clowney more than Huchifino, even though Huchifino went ahead of Clowney in the draft. Uh, the same with Dariq, although like Dariq's injuries, injuries. and things like that yeah. throw things off in a real way. Um, someone said Maxwell Lewis and Max Christie is what I would want. Sure. Like that sounds great. Max Christie would be great. Uh, I don't know that that, you know, gets it done. Like I think you'd still need it'd still have to be Huchifino first, Max Christie then. I still think the Nets outbid that if they want to. So it's hard. I think that a Lakers deal for DeJounte makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It's just whether or not the Nets want DeJounte or not, I think. Maybe they don't. Like maybe they want to wait for Donovan, as D Rock said. Like that that's like a totally plausible outcome to me. If the Nets get involved, I think that they probably do get DeJounte. It's just whether or not they get involved. Uh the, the Lakers are in general the team I want to go to now, though. The Lakers are in a very interesting space where you know, they did just lose to this Nets team that coming into that game had lost 14 of 17. I don't know. I, I've been trying to find the answer for the Lakers that tangibly changes their outcomes. DeJounte does, but like, I don't know if they have the like resources to do it unless they offer Austin Reeves. And like, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to just frankly, I, I would be surprised by that. Uh, I don't know who the guy is on the market. There, There is one guy that we're going to talk about, but like, I don't know who the guy is on the market that like substantially changes their season. I guess. So I just wrote down a bunch of questions that I don't like. I think it really outlines why it's a little bit hard with the Lakers. And I just put, what is the most pressing need for the Lakers? And then I said, do they go all in on defense? Because right now, like that's kind of what they I guess, want to hang their hat on, but they're 12th in defensive rating. Do they improve the offense, which is 23rd in offensive rating? Do they need some more size behind AD? Do they just need scoring? Is it backcourt? Is the wing? And you know they can't make four or five moves. So like, what is the, I think this is kind of what you've been getting at. What is the one move that solves the main or the, the the couple questions that this team really need, like where would you go, Sam? Like, do you think, man, this offense is really going to struggle to score in, in the playoffs and they need to add scoring? Do they need to add another ball handler? Or do you say like, Hey, maybe it's somebody that can really guard and we're just going to be, you know, go all in on defense and hopefully LeBron and AD in the half court and Austin Reeves, you know, who has been playing better, like they carry the offense enough in the playoffs. I would want more offense. I would want more shooting. Okay. But more than that, I would want more like creativity. And I think a piece of that is the Darvin Ham issue, frankly. Uh, They just aren't creative on offense and kind of never have been since he's been there. Uh, I think that's that's like an issue that kind of hangs over all of this. 
I think I would want so much offensive talent that it like mitigates that issue potentially. Uh, so like somebody in the comments, you know, brings up like DeJounte Murray's shooting being fake. I mean, look like DeJounte Murray over the last two years of his career, he's taken 641 threes and made them at a 36% clip. The numbers say that shooting stabilizes in terms of like numbers in the NBA at right around 700 shots. We're in like more than just a hot stretch of shooting for DeJounte at this point. Like, I think he, I think he has gotten better as a shooter to where I would feel okay about doing this. If I was the Lakers, I I, I would, uh, the, the second option to me, and this is where like the lack of shooting comes in. Cause I, I think this guy is a bit more of a questionable shooter is Bruce Brown. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Brown to me probably makes the most sense out of all of the other players that like we think are quote unquote available where the Lakers could like hit a price point. He's a good defender. I think he's a really good fit with Austin Reeves. Potentially if you play Austin Reeves at point guard, I think that his ability to like just be a crash bang, like make shit happen guy would be valuable to them. There is some overlap with him and Jared Vanderbilt. I think I don't, know that it matters though because bruce can just do a lot more and he can guard guards in like a real substantial way i think it'd be a problem to have like jared vanderbilt bruce brown and ad on the court as shooters like all at once around lebron and austin reeves but you know you're gonna play bruce brown you know 28 minutes a night 30 minutes a night like there's still a lot of time to figure out the other 18 minutes which is probably what jared vanderbilt should be playing anyway uh think that Brown is probably the guy that just from an asset perspective makes the most sense to me. And like, let's be clear about this too. Like all of the reporting in the world was that like, if Bruce Brown had not gotten this big offer from the Pacers in the off season, that he was probably going to sign with the Lakers on the deal that they gave uh, on the full mid-level, but the mid-level exception they gave to Gabe Vincent. What, where are you at with Bruce Brown's contract in terms of like, do you think teams are looking that as an expiring deal or do you yeah. look at, yeah, like that's nobody, yeah. no team is going to pick up that team option, right? Look, like I don't think it's impossible. The okay. Lakers would pick it up because then you'd have a $23 million expiring deal, which could be valuable for them on the trade market yeah, again, yeah. next summer, right? Or next spring. So I think like it is plausible the Lakers would look to pick that up because a they would have no way to replace his value. There there are some teams I think that would pick up the option for sure. Okay. Um, there are other teams I think that wouldn't. Like I don't think I don't think Toronto would pick up the option, but it wouldn't surprise me if Toronto kept him to like move him at the deadline or move him at the draft or something like that because his option date isn't until two days after the draft. So. It would just depend on like Phoenix plays asks why would Toronto want to deal with the Lakers if they have zero assets, they do have that first round pick and they have hood Shafino. And like, the question is, can you get a first round pick for Bruce Brown? 
I think somebody probably offers one, but you know, my colleague John Hollinger disagrees with that. Uh, he thinks it's probably multiple seconds. So maybe it is. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's interesting to try and figure out what Bruce's value is around the league. I think that he could make sense though. Well, yeah, Toronto. I mean, if they're getting a first rounder back, like if I was Toronto, I'd be willing to take back the D'Angelo Russell deal uh, and a first for Bruce Brown, or like and Hood Shafino for Bruce Brown. I just wonder, like, you, I, I just wonder if the market may not. Okay, so I, I wrote down some teams, um, you know. Some of the the Celtics, Bucks, Nuggets. Even though it'd be cool if he ended up back with Denver, yeah. like I don't think the money wise there. The Knicks have Fournier to match plus draft assets. I don't know if he fits with New York. Um, the Timberwolves. I think like the Thunder would be an awesome place for yeah. Bruce Brown, and they have the Bertans contract plus. Like this is one where the Thunder could just say, like I, I just we'll wonder if first. there's a a few teams because Bruce Brown is Bruce Brown and can do all the things you're talking about where maybe the market gets driven up just a little bit and he does get a first round. Like I, I'm not going against what Hollinger is saying, but what I'm saying is if a three teams get into it and let's say the thunder are one of them just because of the assets they do have, it may drive that price up just a little bit. Now maybe those aren't, maybe there's not as many teams as I think, but I just feel like some of these contenders would really like to get in and it seems like some of them yeah their dirty dancer says it like they have this expiring contracts the fournier deal the bertons with the thunder all of those teams some of those teams excuse me have those matching salaries yeah like dirty dancer brings up you know would tr- the knicks would do their first and yvonne fournier for bruce brown honestly like bruce brown is an extremely tibbs guy i don't think they need bruce brown at all like it'd just be more of kind of what they have already but wouldn't stun me if they would decide to go down that road. It kind of speaks to something that Bobby Marks brought up recently where they would be, they would consider picking up the Fournier option oh, yeah, next yeah. season just for like trade value. Well, you kind of be doing that, you know, just moving this first rounder uh, and getting like a better player while still having that big expiring salary on your books to be able to move for a star next summer like that's an interesting situation to me uh because bruce brown would have more value to teams than fournier would uh yeah like uh, i think the bucks would love to get involved in this but again if you're toronto i think you're going to get better offers than taking back the bobby portis and pat Connaughton money and it would have to include those two uh so there's a comment that just piqued my interest with the Raptors. So the first trade they made, they prioritized players, right? Not draft, not future draft capital. Yeah. The OG trade, they prioritized IQ and, and Barrett. The Pascal trade, they kind of prioritized draft picks, whether that's what they had to do or not. If they were going to move Bruce Brown, do you think it would be draft picks or do you think that it would be more of a player that quote unquote fits it like that's what's interesting with me with the Raptors we've seen them make two trades and the returns were completely different essentially so it makes me wonder what would they be looking for in a Bruce Brown trade yeah I think that the Raptors look for value is like kind of the easiest way to put it 
they'll assess the value on the market and see what makes the most sense for them. Uh, I think they'd probably love to avoid 2024 picks if they could, but if they don't get another offer for a first round pick other than a 2024 pick, I think they'd probably do that for Bruce Brown. Uh, Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what happens with them, but I think there are enough teams that would be interested in Bruce Brown in a draft that is considered very questionable to where I think the Raptors would get a first rounder uh, in some respect for Bruce Brown. Uh, This isn't realistic, but the one I thought would be fun is just trade him to the Warriors straight up for Andrew Wiggins, just to bring Andrew Wiggins to Canada and maybe he can refine his game. And then Bruce Brown goes to the Warriors and fits perfectly with that system. Well, I I brought that up on the NBA show, um, the athletic NBA show. There's no way the Raptors will just do like, the Wiggins deal for Bruce Brown. Like that's just not going to happen. The Wiggins yeah. deal is just, it might be the worst deal in the NBA right now based on how Wiggins is playing. But if you're the Raptors, would you do Wiggins and Moses Moody for Bruce Brown? Wait, who did you ask the Raptors? If you're the Raptors, would you do Moses Moody and take the Wiggins deal for Bruce Brown? I don't know. I think Moses Moody is good. So, I mean, I guess if I don't think that Bruce Brown is part of what we're doing here, I feel like I'm getting a quality guard in Moody. And a guy that actually really fits with Scotty Barnes in quickly. I think it would depend on what I think I can actually get from Andrew Wiggins or if it's like just a complete and what else there is available, right? Like at the end of the day, I think I would rather keep cap flexibility and have another first round pick, even though I have plenty than take on salary cap implications of a complete. Cause the thing is what that's, yeah, there's, there's three more years on that deal. So like, you're not no, even, it's, one, a, it's a genuinely horrendous contract. Sometimes like, I like to look at these and saying. it's like, okay, we think these are bad, but it's like one year and then it's an expiring. So it's not as bad as what it seems. That's not the case here. No, like here's the thing. So you could look at it that way. You could look at it the way of, hey, Miami didn't move Duncan Robinson. Yeah. Duncan Robinson is now like, seriously, like if I'm Miami, like he's off the table. I can't move him. He's too good and he's too valuable for me at the money he makes. And that deal was considered completely toxic two years ago. Yep. So can Wiggins come back and bounce back in that way? Uh, I think I would not do it for what it's worth. I, I would not want the Wiggins deal that badly. I really like the fit of Moses Moody next to Scotty Barnes and quickly to where it makes me like stop and hesitate. Enough. What if would you do it? If there's nothing else you liked on the table, like the, the best you're going to do otherwise is, Hollinger's second round picks. You're going to, you can either get two second round picks and an expiring contract from team X, or you can get Wiggins and Moody, man. That's like $50 million on your books. Actually, like even a little bit closer to like 60 million later in the deals of Barrett and Wiggins for, you have those guys for three more years on top of this. And RJ is like a different deal. Like RJ is not nearly as toxic as a deal right now. That's a lot. It's a lot of risk that I'd be putting on my cap sheet. I think because Scotty's his will kick in. Yeah. His will kick in, but definitely After next year. season. Yeah. So before these things are off the books or you can move them or an yeah. IQ's about to get his deal kicked in. Correct. 
You have the Pirtle deal for three more years on top of this too. I think that they probably can't do it. I think they probably can't take the Wiggins deal, but that's the kind. I think that's. I think you would have to attach Moody to get off the Wiggins deal. Is my it's point. It's so crazy uh, weird that to this point with Andrew Wiggins. It's just, and I know we've done this. We don't have to go down this road. I'm not trying to go there. It just, it's just crazy. We've got to this point. Like he's been yeah. that bad that, and it's not like his contract is crazy. He's not making forty million a year. You no, know, when like, he signed that deal, people thought that was a good contract, huge, based yeah. on how he was playing with Golden State. Like, yeah, that was the thing. So. I don't know. A uh, couple other things here while we kind of scramble around and talk trades. Uh, Zach Levine's out for a week or two. A- any impact, do you think, on the market? I, I don't I, think I, so. I, yeah, I just I thought it was funny. Somebody texted me and said, like, hey, this is going to lower his market. And I'm like, it was a like it was a typical ankle injury. You know, like, I don't think this yeah. one should apply. And listen, you're way more into this stuff than me. I don't have nearly the connections, um, but like, it sounds like his market is kind of bare as it's going to be like, I don't know that this affects anything. Um, maybe you can say this is a couple weeks where he could have, I don't know what he would have proven or not proven or whatever, but I don't think it should like, to me, it seems like there's, if they can get away with one somewhat legit asset, that's a win for them. Yeah. Like he almost, it seems like it's almost going to turn into a straight salary dump. So if they can get one somewhat legit, that seems like a win at this point. I think that's right. Uh, uh, Yeah, I I just don't. I I, I don't think, I I think the odds are he'll probably be in Chicago, it seems like, but we'll see. If he does get moved, who do you think it, like what, I'm not asking for a specific team. Is it a tender, middle of the road? What do you think? Yeah, I think it'd probably be more middle of the road. Okay. Or like even like a rebuilding team. Yeah. Because I've said that from the jump that like that makes the most sense to me. Uh, and I think it. I think if they move him, there's an interesting young player and a first in there. Otherwise, I think okay. they won't move him. Interesting. Uh, is is where I'm at. Like would, it's it's a it's a matter of like yeah, will you move him or not? Like yeah. if Chicago is going to move him. It's going to be assets. I think the price they, I think they require like interesting assets. Gotcha. I don't think they're just going to like let him go for nothing. They're not so uh, motivated just to get off his money. And so hearing that, if that is the case, then I don't think he gets moved because I don't necessarily think somebody, maybe one, like I said, I could see a team giving up one somewhat legit asset, whether that's a pick or a young player. I don't see two. I, I just don't see that. Yeah. Uh, the Suns are the last team I wanted to talk about here. Uh, the Phoenix Suns clearly active in the market. Like I've heard that they're trying to make something happen. The problem is that they have Grayson Allen as a potential asset. And we'll talk about him in a second. Nasir Little, who makes $7 million. Those guys, I think combined, make like 16. Uh, and then on top of it, they only have four second round picks to be able to do anything. Uh, the Suns this season, like the two guys that have been pretty good outside of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and like, you know, Bradley Beal to an extent as well. Beal has played really well when he's been on the court. He's just missed, you know, over half of their season so far. Grayson Allen is averaging 14 points, shooting 
50, 48, 90 right now <laughs> uh, with four rebounds and three assists. Like if you trade Grayson Allen, if you're the Suns, you are opening one hole to plug another. Like Grayson has been really good this year. Uh, really, really, really good this year. Yeah, he's been. I sorry, I was looking up my tweet because I tweeted about Grayson Allen of all people the other day. Yeah, shooting fifty two percent from three on seven and a half attempts per game since Christmas Day includes a two game stretch where he went two for nine. So he had a two game stretch where he went two for nine, still over fifty two percent, and he's had three games where he made eight plus threes since Christmas Day. That's not even a month ago. So the fact that I, I tweeted about Grayson Allen just tells you the way he's been shooting the ball. And so it's, yeah, it's like, how are you taking a step forward when you have to move one of, or both of those guys? Like, that's what I don't see is I I just, those are, especially Grayson is one of the guys that you feel like you've been able to depend on. So I kind of laughed when you brought this up, not because it's like, I just don't see the path. Like, it's just, what do they cobble together? Cause it's, again, it's another team that once you get past Aaron Gordon, Eric Gordon, excuse me, two, three, four, five, six, eight guys that make less than $3 million to try to put yeah. the money together. And the other guy that's been great that they has a big salary and you could theoretically attach is Nurkic. Yusuf Nurkic has been really good for them on defense this year, particularly. I, their numbers are drastically, drastically different when Nurkic is on the court defensively versus when he's off the court. They kind of need to keep Nurkic as well. His ability to move the ball from the center position is valuable. Like, yeah, he struggles to finish around the rim. And yeah, like he's not quite as good of a mover as he was, but he really anchors their defense in a substantial way. Like you could maybe try and get creative and do something like Nurkic and Nasir Little where you get like, I I don't know, like I've been trying to figure out like if there's something with Washington where like could, could the Wizards and Suns come together to do like Nurkic and Nasir Little for, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like you'd have to get Gafford in there and then like you'd have to get like a bunch of their random weird role players in there. But I don't think there's anything there either. Uh I've I've struggled with the Suns trying to figure out what they're going to do because again they only have four second round picks. Like the the thing to me is like moving Nasir and and by the way they're over the apron if I remember correctly as well. So the thing that makes the most sense to me is probably Nasir and like one of their minimum guys for in like picks for something. It's just what is the what is the something? What what can you get for? Nasir Little, who, you know, frankly, like teams don't have a ton of interest in at this stage for, you know, Eric Gordon or whichever of these guys you want to move, Josh Kogi, Damian Lee, whoever, uh, in three second round picks. I, I just don't know who it is. Yeah, I mean, they have six guys, right, that you can somewhat feel like you count on. That's counting Eric Gordon, who's averaging you know, 13 points, shooting 38% from three. After those six, I mean, it really, really drops off. And I feel like they've tried everybody from Met to, you know, Eubanks playing, you know, Bull Bull was getting some minutes there. I thought Watanabe was going to get time. Bates Diot, like, it's just, and, and I don't see how any of those guys are valuable 
whenever you, you can't just put them together. And so it's, you know what the, the Nurkic thing is interesting, but you have to get a center back, but then the upgrade on the wing or the depth has to be enough to make up for the drop off. Cause you're not going to get a center at the same level that none of these other guys can take on more minutes. It's not like you're going to move Eubanks into the starting lineup and feel like you can do that. Yeah. So I, I just don't know what the path is. They're, they're a really interesting team. You, you see why they want to make a move. It's just, what is it? Yeah. One name I was kind of wondering about, like, is there a world where Charlotte would do like Cody Martin for Nasir little and a pick or like something along those lines, two picks, Cody Martin, though, is like a huge risk for Phoenix again, injury wise, which I think they're probably trying to minimize that uh, in a role player option. But, you know, Cody Martin's been back. He's been playing okay for Charlotte. Uh, You know, defensive guy, like willing to battle on that end, something of what they need realistically on the perimeter. I just don't know. Like, to me, the deal is that you go and you take on like bad money from somebody and and like Cody Martin has like multiple years left on his contract. Uh, Like maybe Charlotte just kind of wants off of that. I, yeah, like it's, it's hard to find the team. I think it's really, really hard to find the team for uh, Phoenix. uh, That makes sense as a trade partner. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the big three are going to have to be really good. Nurkic is going to have to do what he's doing. You know, Grayson Allen is probably doing as much as you could expect. And I don't know. It feels like, you know, they keep trying these different role players. Maybe eventually they find, you know, a couple that stick. And then you get to an eight-man rotation in the playoffs. And the three do their thing. Allen shoots the ball really well. And, you know, they just have two or three role players that play really well at home, right? Like, it seems like, you know, the role players play well at home. And maybe every once in a while that you get a good road game. Or like I say, that you know, KD just goes kd mode or booker or whatever yep uh okay that's all i've got on trade stuff bryce let's get through the bryce asks sam a question section here perfect yeah we got time this time okay so in the nfl in the offseason sam they do it the opposite way where free agency happens first and then the draft as a Chiefs fan, I always enjoy this because it's like the team can go out and fill holes on their roster with free agents, and then you can go into the draft truly, not always, but a lot of times drafting for best player available, and I feel like you get players on teams where they, they don't go sign somebody that fills that spot. How would you feel, or do you have any feelings at all, if the NBA changed and did free agency first in the NBA draft second. So look, you know, for my job purposes, do it. Great. That'd be great. That'd be awesome because people would care about the draft longer uh, and it'd be nice. I like, so you're saying basically, actually, I don't know. Cause then I like lose out on off season, which might be disappointing to me. Um, now I'm like thinking selfishly on this question, <laughs> but I think that from an NBA perspective, I would probably prefer free agency ahead of the draft. I think it would make sense in regard to team building. I also don't think that 
NBA teams think as short term in regard to their draft picks as NFL teams because NFL careers are just so much shorter yeah, yeah. than NBA careers. Uh, there's also the you have to be in college or out of high school for three years stipulation in the NFL, meaning guys who get to the NFL are more ready to play than guys who get to the NBA. So it, it, it doesn't totally line up in terms of like the way that the two organizations and like front office executives within the organizations think about things. But I think I would prefer free agency because I think that it just creates a bit more of a robust like team building strategy almost. So but can I, I give I, my... but to be to be clear, like I don't really care either way about sure. this though, because I think that the two things are so like I, I think the two leagues are so different in regard yeah, yeah. to the way they go about it. So so I've always wondered about it. I'll give you the origin of the question. And it was the Houston Rockets this year. So the Houston Rockets draft Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore. And then they go into free agency and sign Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. And so my thought was, would they do the draft differently if they had already signed Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet? Would they have taken somebody different at four? than Amin Thompson. Cam Whitmore is a little bit different, but would they have taken somebody different at 20 because they have Dylan Brooks and the other guys on their roster? So this is why it's interesting to me. Some of the things I put was, does it actually put rookies in better situations? Would it make for more draft night trades or less if some of this stuff had already happened? And then so, the other so that's thing actually is, a, the trade piece of it is interesting. I think it would be less trades. Okay, because they they had already, and then the last one is we could get rid of the silly hat stuff where like the trades that happened on draft night could go ahead and run through and we didn't have to ask them questions about a team they weren't actually going to play for. Like that's just a sort of, there'd be less of that, but it would still exist because they'd still lock the order before the draft anyway. True, true, Um, true. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like going back and forth on this because like, I think the draft night is a little bit more exciting because they have it scheduled the way it is uh, with it being before free agency, which means that teams are setting themselves up for free agency and then using these draft picks as potential capital. But you'd be able to do that anyway. Um, It just wouldn't be on draft night. It would be before the draft. Yeah, this is one of those things. People bring this up. Like, you're not the first person to have asked me this question. It it is truly one of those things where, like, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I, the more I think about it, the more I think I'm okay with the way that the NBA does it, I guess. It works for me. All right, I have another one. You have one yep. hour to scout a player you have never seen. You got you to gotta crank out this the draft guide one hour from now, Sam. Yeah. What do you do in terms of film? You've never watched this player before. You know the particulars. That's it. Do you watch a full game or do you go to no. Synergy and pick out the specific clips? For an hour? You have one hour. I will start with like, honestly, I will probably go to YouTube and like try to find highlights. Okay. Like understand what I'm looking at first. Uh, Then I will probably go to 
synergy, look at the profile, take a look at the numbers to see what he does well. And this is a player I've never seen before, right? This is your Correct. theory. This is this is I'd, the hypothetical. Yeah, I'd look at the box score numbers, I'd look at the synergy numbers, I'd look at the on-off numbers, I would look at some of the other advanced numbers I have. I'd try to pinpoint like weaknesses after having already looked at the highlights. Um to take a look at like where do I think the concerns are? What do I think the issues could be? And then go from there. Uh, and if I had time at the end, I would plop on a full game for like 15 minutes potentially if I could. Um, but yeah, I think I'd honestly start with like find YouTube highlights, figure out what the person does well to start. Then look at the stat profiles, figure out what the problems are. Uh, and then try to pinpoint the problems and then like box score hunt, find like an indicative game and then go watch a full, like watch as much of the full game as I could within the hour. So I, I will not ask you to say their name because that would be completely disingenuous. If I, if you could text, do you have, if I did ask you, do you have a person you would, you know, you would text this person because you just trust them so much in their evaluation. Like if you could reach out to oh, somebody. I, mean, I, I can't even do like an Intel dive in the way I want to do an Intel dive. So you yeah, even like I, I have, I, I, yeah, I have people that I can text to where yeah, I can say, I know like, you do, but do you have somebody that you would stand out? Like, Hey, I got to put this in the athletic, put my name behind it. This is my number one. I would I, go I have, them. I have enough people to do that. I, I would probably hit, three or four people gotcha. uh, and just say like, Hey, like big picture Intel, like good, bad explain um, kind of thing. Uh, but that, that takes like, you know, 45 seconds. Of yeah. My time no, and and that's like, 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 so that was the other thing is like, do you just trust some of your relationships and your connections in that? Um, okay. I've, I have two more, just to get a little bit away from basketball. How many of your guests slash co-hosts could you be in a three-point competition uh probably very few you're not sure honestly probably very few i i could never really shoot to be honest like when i played i was a point guard that could like pass and uh like consistently turn the ball over but like <laughs> yeah no I, I was not very good at basketball so very few uh, sure shooting particularly very few I okay. I thought, I just thought maybe you were, um, a gunner in that way. Some, some guys like you just, no. you, you don't know, like they just have the jumper and that's what they do really well. And some guys are your archetype. And so I was no, curious. people, yeah. People like when I would play pickup and like, I used to have like longer hair and it was, you know, the two thousands and early 2010s people would shout like Manu, uh, <laughs> cause I'd like think I'd be like passing and like creative uh, in a similar way. More looks than anything else though. Okay. I have one and this has nothing to do with basketball. Do you know your love language and your wife's love language? Are you familiar with the the five love languages? I am. Uh, I do, but I forget what they are off the top of my head. It's okay. like my, my wife's is definitely um, acts of acts of service, service. is one. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, what are the other ones? What are the, so there's, the so physical touch, words of yeah. affirmation, acts of service, gifts, and quality time. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know my wife's. Um, what is mine? I forget what mine is. I, I've done this before. Um, yeah, I forget what it, um, I forget what it is. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Cause this like, cha- like, and as somebody said, we went off the rails here, but I feel like sometimes it's fun to do this. It like changed things for me because me and my wife's are very different. And yeah. I, I grew up in a home where like my mom, I learned how to do the laundry at a very young age, take out the trash, like, yeah. like all that acts of service essentially. And my dad did not bless his soul. And so my mom taught me like, this is what you're going to do as a husband. So I get married and I do all these things and my wife could care less. She literally does not care. <laughs> so what I had to learn was doing the dishes, doing the laundry, taking out the trash meant absolutely nothing to her. Yeah. If I gave her a kiss on the forehead or held her hand for 30 seconds, that meant more than any act of service gift or anything else. So for any of our young listeners or whatever, learn your wife's love language because it's really important. Yeah. No, it's a really, really important thing. Uh, it, it really is like truly important. The, truly like the thing that like changed my wife and I's relationship was like me getting diagnosed with ADHD and like her understanding and me understanding yeah. like my own like things uh, that are going on like up here all the time, uh, which of, of which there are copious things. Well, uh, I'll just say real quick, like as a teacher, as a coach, stuff like that, like this stuff hits with me as well, because I have students who need to hear you did a good job. I have other kids yeah. who want a high five. I have other kids who, if I give them a candy bar, they think I'm the coolest person ever. And then even with coaching, your players are the same way. I just, I'm very fascinated by this stuff because I know it's true with me. I'm words of affirmation. So when yeah. we, I, I remember back to the very first time we recorded together, Sam. And as soon as oh, yeah, we got you, done, you were curious. Yeah. And you said what you said to me, like, I tried not to show it in the moment, but it's, I told my wife, like, this is what Sam said after we got done. That <laughs> made, like, I was so juiced. And yeah. that's why like our YouTube comments, sometimes I don't go look because the positive ones are great, but the negative ones sometimes like as a grown man, they still can kind of cut because I want to be the best. And so words of yeah. affirmation mean something to me. So it's just interesting. Yep. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, that, that is interesting. I'll have to think about what mine is. I, I like go back and forth on like different things. Like you can be, yeah. it's like a spectrum kind of thing. I don't sure. know. A uh, couple of questions to finish on. I've seen some questions throughout here. We wanted to answer a couple of draft questions. Yeah. Uh, wondering if and when uh, Riz Shea will convince Sam before the draft. I have Riz Shea extremely high on my board. Uh, probably too high at this point. Uh, I had him at three on the last one. I think I have him higher now. Um, I don't have him at one, but I, I do quite like Zach Riz and think that like the skill set is quite impressive. Uh, it, it, now that he's able to shoot, I have him at two. I, I think he's really good. I think he plays basketball, quote unquote, the right way. I think there's a some some real talent there. I think he does some interesting things defensively. I know we're not getting into full scouts right now, but um, yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, I feel like I'm being forced to move guys from off the radar to really high every week. Uh, hello, Johnny Furphy, Keyshawn George, uh, Zvonimir Avisic. The Avisic thing on. Saturday was the coolest thing I've seen on a college basketball court this yeah, season. Yeah, good for him. Like that dude coming out after all the NCA has put that guy through yep. and just 
bawling from day like minute one that he was on the court. I loved it. You saw in the second half some of the worries, <laughs> like yeah. unequivocally. Uh, you saw some of the worries, but I think it's worth being really excited about what we saw from Avicic. And like, if it goes right for him at Kentucky, very well could be a first round pick. But you know, I, I I'm not gonna like you know jump and go too high, too low on it. I, I want to see way more. The guy I really like in this group that Dirty Dancer mentioned is Keyshawn George. Uh, I've dude. told you, like I have Keyshawn George as a first round pick right now. That dude is. I do as well. That dude's fantastic. Um, Furphy, I haven't watched Kansas probably in two weeks, so I, I want to, I want to take a look at Furphy before I like make any strong, you know, inclinations on him. Um, any other, or uh, basketball Genesis asked, uh, are you still in on Isaiah Collier? I mean, not like, I don't know if I have him in the top eight or nine. In fact, I don't have him in the top eight or nine at this I do point. Not but I mean, am I still in on him to an extent? Like, you know, I think he's a first round pick. Like, that's in some respect in on him. Uh, I would guess that he probably ends up going in the top twenty to twenty five ish. Yeah, I have dropped him. I think we did a a little bit of a segment on him. I don't know if the injury news had just broke a, a few episodes ago, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess in on where I was earlier is definitely not yeah. in on him in that way anymore, but I don't think he's like not a draft pick at this point, as you said. Yeah, and and could go in the lottery like very clearly. Like I, I don't want to like rule that out when I say top 20 to 25. Like conservatively though, like he should enter the draft, I think. Like yeah. I, I feel totally good about him entering the draft. Uh, Marie Shaw asked for my top five prospects in order. Not going to give that because uh, I will be doing a top 100. I think I'm going to start the top 100 to like order everything later this week. And then I'm going to kind of release like a full board on the athletic next week at some point. So keep it locked for that. Uh, that's all we've got today though, Bryce, we went for an hour 47, which was probably 15 minutes longer than I expected, which for us pretty good. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny that we get the topics, we do the outline, we do all of that stuff. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like I legit thought this might be an hour long podcast. I really thought that this is that it may end up that way. And I should have known better, but this is perfect. The Chiefs game is about to start. I'm actually going to hide the comments so you guys don't ruin anything for me. Like I said, I'm going to go make supper and I'll start the game in an hour. This is perfect. Yeah. The deadline notes section took a little bit longer than what I expected. Um, But good news on Thursday in the U.S., uh, Schlecht and I will be coming on. We're going to do awards. So... Be ready for that. We'll talk through where we're at on all of that stuff. I'll come up with where I have, you know, obviously, you know, I said Joel Embiid is my pick for MVP right now. Uh, we'll talk through all of that with Schlecht uh, and it'll be really exciting and really fun. And, you know, people will yell at us for having uh, Chet over Victor for rookie of the year at this point. It's a thing that will happen. I can guarantee it. Uh, Spurs fans are very angry about Victor and I, I will give, I have rookie rankings. This is actually a thing worth noting. I have rookie rankings coming tomorrow. I wrote a big, super positive thing on Victor. Talked 
so much about his defense, how great he has been uh, over the last like 15 games. I guarantee you people will only look at the rating or ranking because they're full season rankings. And I've checked a little bit higher than Vic on the full season scale and not notice that in the section that I wrote at the end, that if you made me bet right now, by the end of the year, I think Victor will be ahead of chat. I bet you that nobody will do that and people will melt down and instead uh, only notice the ranking. It will be a thing. My mentions will be a disaster. I say it'll be I'm great excited. for your mentions in your Twitter DMs, though. Yeah, I don't know about great. It'll be something, though. Engagement uh, is good. Engagement is good. We'll go with that. Uh, so I have rookie rankings coming tomorrow at The Athletic as well. Keep that locked there. Um, that's all I've got, I think. That's all I've got, Bryce. Uh, anything on your end? Anything you want to plug? No. Follow on right. Twitter, at Motor City Hoops, if you want. Other than that, um, talk basketball here, unless you want to watch, listen to us talk about the Pistons, which I don't think you do. So, <laughs> No, I don't think you do. Don't do that. That's bad. Uh, okay. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.